Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Greeks had a saying, all things are koina among friends. And what that meant was that friends have things in common. They meant this as an expression of mutuality in business and enterprise and society that the Greeks would share a friendship in which you do something for me and I do something for you. Friends have all things in common. The Greek word is koinonia, which we often translate fellowship. Among the Greeks, this was based on a mutual understanding of how society was meant to work. However, in the ancient East, friendship was not necessarily what you might think it is. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus addresses his disciples after giving them the Lord's Supper and a dispute arises about who is the greatest. Jesus says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. That title Jesus used, benefactors, refers to the elite class, the rich, the politically advantaged, the powerful. Those who are considered honored in society, who will receive honor and glory from the community, they are recognized for that because they contribute to the community. In English, benefactor means someone who gives money or helps someone in need or gives to a cause or project. Sometimes we call these people patrons. You might see their name plastered or written on a plaque on a wall in the hospital or in the library, they're benefactors. Now in modern society, we tend to think that everything is equal, right? Equality for all, that democracy in a modern world should give equal rights, equal freedoms, equal access to goods and opportunities. However, in the ancient world, that's not the way it was looked at especially under the Roman Empire. Benefactors were those who had the advantage. They had greater rights than the poor. They had privilege of access to certain people and certain resources that a common person would not. Instead, the common working class was not honored. The poor were shamed. They were removed from opportunities, and they depended upon the benefactors, if they were going to survive in this society. When Greeks said friends have all things in common, what they were talking about was a friendship that meant I'll do you a favor, you do me a favor. It had to do with an arrangement, an understanding in society of how things worked, who was on top, who was on the bottom, a network of power. Up on top, you had Caesar and his officials. Then you had middlemen like the King Herod, the priestly class in Jerusalem, the tax collectors. 
And then it filtered on down to the laborers, the farmers, and at last down to the lowest people, the sick, the lame, the impoverished. Among friends means I'll have an advantage over you, but as long as you support me, I'll do things for you. So King Herod would build libraries or monuments or aqueducts and put them into your city as long as your city agrees to give King Herod your loyalty. Now, we might not have the same system as we look around us, but I think we can relate to what it means to do a favor, what it means to expect a favor. We probably know something about having the right contacts. To know how the system works, really opportunities are not all equal. It depends on who you know, and sometimes it depends on contributions and favors where your names are written on a plaque. And now as we look at certain places in our society, as our economy struggles, if you can call it that, prices rise, income drops, inflation's over 9%, they say there's signs of the recession, the housing market starting to burst, They've raised federal interest rates. So you might go to the grocery store and find things are a lot more expensive than they were a year or two ago. The people that it affects most are those who have taken risks and incurred debt, maybe credit card debt, maybe a housing mortgage agreement that was a bad idea. The government tries to respond to these things. But as we see in our text for today, it's not the same as the church's response. It sounds really good for us to say, let's just give more to those in need. Let's tax more or redistribute the wealth more and more. More programs, more government, more money to the needy. But in the long run, everything comes at a price. Nothing is free. And the benefactors who might give more will often expect something in return. What our text is talking about today in Acts chapter 4 is koinonia. A whole other way of looking at this exchange we're talking about, at the needs of the community. Now a person might be mistaken to think that this is really talking about something like communism or socialism because everybody's having everything in common. However, it works different in the church than with the government. Luke's key word here is this Greek word koinonia, which takes on a coining of its own, a meaning of its own among Christians, that it comes from a new thing that God is doing through his son, Jesus Christ, through his death, and through his resurrection, Jesus is now in charge of the church. And the new boss is not the same as the old boss. In fact, that comes from a song. There was a band, The Who, who wrote a song in the 1960s and 70s about the anti-establishment movement of the 60s. The song points out that there was a movement during the 1960s to get away from 
establishments and get more toward this happy system of sharing and happiness. They were trying to change things from the system to morality, to the church, to government. But the song points out not really much changed for good. The thought behind it was that, yes, it was good to see, long to see the end of corruption, to put an end to hate, to end war, to end disparity in possessions and replace it with love and sharing and happiness and peace. But what came out of it was really just more of the same. And so at the end of the song, which is called We Don't Get Fooled Again, they say, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Basically, all humanity is calling out for an end to this corruption. And we listen to it, we try to find responses for it, but what came out of the 60s was just another form of government or systems or ways of dealing with each other that really wasn't any different in the long run. There is only one answer to the longing that people are expressing here. The worries, the arguments, the failed programs, the failed system, the corrupted power is Jesus. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, the new boss was not going to be the same as the old boss. Something new happened. We've been looking at this in our series in Acts, how the resurrection brought forth something new. The way the house was the night before is not the same as it is the day after. We looked at witness and testimony to the resurrection. We looked at boldness in Peter. And today it's koinonia. Verse 32 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, koinonia. How much of what you own really belongs to you? Christians who are born out of the resurrection of Jesus find out that with Jesus in charge, we don't have to worry about what belongs to me. Not in the sense that we would without Jesus. When Jesus died, God gave birth to something new. But it cannot happen apart from Jesus dying. There's no other solution or system for society that will address sin. We've tried it. And the history of the world can show all the different systems from the feudal system to the French Revolution, fascism to communism, republics and democracies. Behind and in it all is still this curse that's on the world, a curse of sin, a curse of the law. And the revolution doesn't happen apart from Jesus. It's interesting that the artist who wrote this song, Peter Townshend, wrote that song, We Don't Get Fooled Again, after staying for a while on a commune near London. He stayed there on this commune where he was immersed in this utopian society that was supposedly going to bring the answers, where everyone shared everything. It was a bunch of hippies getting together on an island and thinking they were going to create a new society. 
Well, among the hippies were Grateful Dead fans and friends of these bands and celebrities and part of this movement you might see at Woodstock. And what he says happened is they got along pretty well for a while until all of a sudden drugs started getting into the community. And people were consuming and using and people were using up all the resources they had and what Peter said was that somebody would come knocking on his door and saying, give us some food. So he'd give them some food. And they'd come back the next day and knock on the door, give us some food. And he'd give them some more food. And then they'd come knocking on the door again, give us some food. And he'd say, I don't have any more food. And they'd say, well, give us some food anyways. After that, he said they'd come knocking on his door and pretty soon they were saying things like, give us your car. We want to liberate your car. Or give us your baby. He left a little bit disillusioned and he wrote this song, We Don't Get Fooled Again, because he saw out of this great movement in the 60s, this idea they were going to solve the world's problems with love and happiness never happened. Because in the end, there's still a problem to deal with. They wanted the resurrection, but they didn't want the cross. In order for koinonia to happen the way it happens in the Bible, there must be death. There has to be death before there can be resurrection. And the only way to die to ourselves, to the greediness within us, to the selfishness that is in us, is to have someone enter through death and liberate us from the curse. The whole creation goes through this death with Jesus. We are still living in this world. We are part of both a fallen creation and in Jesus a new creation. Which means that now we are here to reveal to the world what the new society really is. What this Eden project was meant to be. The church is the koinonia. So that the world we live in can see things are different among those who have died on the cross and rose from the dead. God has done something new and the new boss is not the same as the old boss. And we've had enough of the old boss. He doesn't give us the answers and maybe we've even been the old boss but the new boss is Jesus. And when we have allegiance to him as our King and Lord and Savior, we don't get fooled. They says that they were of one heart and one soul, which meant they were united to God through the Holy Spirit. There was great power through the apostles being done to witness to what Jesus had done. And there was great grace upon them all so that they lived with favor among themselves and the people around them. This doesn't mean that they didn't sin or they didn't have problems. There are plenty of letters of Paul showing that there were many problems to deal with. But it meant there was an actual solution to draw us back to what really matters, what God's done through Jesus, the redemption of our souls and bodies. In the early Christian church, then, 
benefactors were undone. The system that Rome and the Greeks were put in place about being friends was turned upside down. Notice how Joseph, the one who is called Barnabas, sells a field. The field belongs to him, and it's on a faraway land of Cyprus, an island out in the Mediterranean Sea. He sells that field, and he brings the proceeds all the way to Jerusalem. He lays it at the feet of the apostles. Now, by doing that, he's giving up the honor and the glory of his gift. Normally, a benefactor would give it to the people where he lives, right on Cyprus. Normally, he would give it right to the city, directly to the people in need, so that they would know who gave it. Normally, we would see somebody's name on a plaque. But when Barnabas does it, the son of encouragement gives it away to the apostles and lets them distribute it. So the honor isn't brought back to Barnabas, but it's given to the Lord Jesus Christ. In contrast to this, we have the outcome of Ananias and Sapphira. Jesus warned us in a parable that if we collect goods only to build bigger barns and storage units for ourselves, that in the end, it's going to corrupt our soul. And a farmer once had a great crop. He built bigger barns and he collected all his goods. But then the Lord said, tonight your soul will be required of you. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to look like Christians. Here's a rich couple who had land and property, and they wanted to get in on the church's work. It feels good to be part of the church, to do some good, but only to be part of the church, not altogether the church. They were only partly in. We face this day by day when our own hearts are challenged by sin. Are we partly in or are we all in? Because the kingdom calls us to be all in. In fact, Jesus on the cross calls us to the place of redemption where those sins are handed over to him and our heart becomes new. But they didn't go through that path. Peter points out this was their free choice. The system, if you call it that, of koinonia didn't force anybody to give anything. It wasn't a church stewardship committee knocking on people's door and showing their offering records and saying, hey, you haven't given as much as your income could. No, it was freely given, and Peter points that out. It was your choice to give. The land was under your control. But by doing it and holding some back and lying, you're not just lying to us, you're lying to God. In 2 Corinthians 8, we read about that free choice, that it has to come freely from the heart. It can't be coerced by a government system trying to get us to give more or forcing us because that always ends in violence or stealing. Each one must give as his own heart tells him, not grudgingly 
because God loves a cheerful giver. And the only way to have that heart is to see the riches of our Lord Jesus Christ, who for your sake became poor, gave up the riches of heaven, and that through his poverty, our church is rich. All things are koinonia among friends. Jesus shows us that we are friends in the truest sense. Jesus, in fact, said, No longer do I call you servants, but I call you my friend. So God is the highest benefactor, the one who owns all things, the one who distributes to all as he will. But he comes down to our level, to our humanity, and into our death and says to you, You are my friends. What greater boss could we have than the one who washes our feet? Which is why when he told his disciples, who is the greatest? He said, I am among you one who serves. So you have a complete contradiction. The highest benefactor, the one in authority over all that we're looking at, the church and all creation, is also the lowest, the one who serves, the one who is a servant to all. This is the only thing that will change us. This is the only thing that can maintain the koinonia. And this is the attitude that will show to the world who's struggling to make sense of all the broken systems, the broken politics, the broken power and corruption, that the answer is only found in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.